Hello and welcome to the Succession Easters. The Succession Easters! A weekly podcast recapping and discussing the award-winning HBO TV show Succession. I'm Mike Munzer, a producer, podcaster and Succession obsessive. And I'm Anna Bogutskaya, a writer, broadcaster and Chevroy apologist. <laughs> and on this podcast, we'll be taking you through the highs and lows of the Roy family saga every single week, recapping every episode of Succession's fourth and final season, which is airing right now on HBO in the US and Sky and Now TV in the UK. And this week we'll be diving deep into one of the most stressful episodes of television I've ever seen, season four, episode eight, America Decides. Okay, Tom says, exit polls say, looks like Jimenez. That's great. I mean, I got four smileys from Gail. They think they got it. I have got eggplant, eggplant flag from Macon. Well, two eggplants is not as much as four smileys, obviously. Four smileys is symptomatic of the complacency at the heart of his out-of-touch campaign. Eggplant, eggplant flag reeks of the misogynistic bravado that has so repelled the median voter. Hmm? Jesus. Hmm? Oh, I feel sick. Oh, why? It's fun. My team's playing your team. It's only spicy because if my team wins, they're going to shoot your team. Uh, Anna, what were your... What were your emotions when watching this week's episode? It's a great question, Mike. <laughs> I I just want to paint you a picture, okay? Yeah. Let me paint you a picture because, yeah. you know, we get... This This is sort of the sort of minutiae that I personally find interesting. We get the screeners on Wednesday afternoons, UK yes. time. Yep. Get very excited. Always. I mean, there's a whole, uh, you know, exercise in self-control, you know, w- not watching it by ourselves waiting for our respective partners to like be in the room and have the time to watch it yeah that is like relationship ending kind of crime right for us to watch our screeners without our partners as well so yeah yeah Yeah. that was uh i must admit i i did that (laughs) once and i will never hear the end of it but (laughs) so when we sat down to watch succession episode eight America decides there was one moment there was a lot of yelling in the screen mm-hmm. and then there was one moment towards the end when both of us my boyfriend Sean and I just like threw ourselves on the floor <laughs> threw stuff at my TV and we're screaming apologies to my downstairs neighbor uh, if you're <laughs> listening I hope you're not and <laughs> We were just screaming full throttle. I had to rewind the whole scene. This is the boardroom <laughs> scene that we'll come to. Oh my god. I was furiously yelling, fuck you, Greg, yep. at the at the TV. And yep. we just held each other for dear life until the episode ended. And I genuinely I was taking notes during this first watch. <laughs> I genuinely think I now have chronic heart palpitations yep. because of this fucking episode yep. and yep. I would like to send my medical bills to Mr. Jesse Armstrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I was what right about there. you? Yeah, I was right there with you. Speaking of medical problems, like I've watched this episode <laughs> twice now and both times, like I literally had this, I have this like knot in my stomach, like my stomach <laughs> after the first watch, I was physically hurting. I was like, I don't know what I've done <laughs> to my body. I sent you and I, I, I should and I should post the screenshot of our text to each other because I, I messaged you and I was like, Anna, that episode, I was, I felt sick with stress. And then yeah, you replied in all caps going, I cannot breathe. And I was like, yeah, I don't I don't know what's I happened to us breathe. both. <laughs> Seriously. 
Yeah. I think I lost my voice a little bit just yelling. Like we were both, again, apologies downstairs neighbor, was screaming <laughs> during the boardroom scene. It was full-bodied screaming. It was the whole thing. The whole episode, I was like, this is one of the most prolonged, tense things I've ever sat through. So this is, of course, the long-awaited election night. We thought maybe, like, we speculated that this might be the the end of the season, but we're only on episode eight, and this is Mm -hmm. election night, and we are right in the thick of it, right? So it's, of course, this is the first time that ATN are covering the election with no Logan Roy at the helm. Instead, we've got all these little fuck-ups, these not serious people (laughs) running the show right you've got a coked up tom and greg mm-hmm. kind of running the show making all of the calls but you've got the the roy siblings above them calling down from up above sometimes walking down onto the floor and getting amongst it and of course as we know all three of the siblings have their own personal agendas about this election right so of mm-hmm. course shiv very concerned for the country um doesn't want Menken sure. to win i know in- yeah exactly as much as any of these fuck-ups can be concerned about anything and uh, and, uh, you know, so he's sort of rooting for the Democrat Jimenez. Roman, of course, very much in Team Menken, Team Fascist. He wants mm-hmm. Menken to win, partly because obviously he's kind of like very in with ATN Menken, but also Menken has assured Roman that if he wins, he will stop the Gojo deal, right? Yes. And will, you know, and therefore will keep Roman and Kendall as CEOs. And at the beginning, Kendall is kind of somewhere in between these two. Like, he kind of feels like... It's probably in his interests to go with Menken, uh, but also I think there's that little element of guilt and should I do the right thing uh, because my daughter is literally scared for her life and this man might fuck up the country and the world. And so Kendall kind of goes on this journey throughout this episode, right? Meanwhile, in the outside world, everything is literally on fire, right? Somebody sets fire to a vote count center in Wisconsin. They lose... I don't know, tens of thousands of votes, potentially. Mm-hmm. So Jimenez is ahead at the start of the episode, but when they count the Wisconsin votes, Wisconsin, uh, Menken is winning, but that's because there are loads of missing slash burnt ballots, yes. right? And also there are 100,000 absentee votes and ballots that haven't yet been counted. So the question becomes, do they call it? as Menken has won that state. Mm -hmm. And of course, Shiv and a lot of people are saying, no, that's ridiculous. Like there are absentee votes. There's been some sort of corruption here. Votes have been destroyed. Roman is very much like, let's fucking call it. In the end, they call it. And then what happens is uh, Menken starts winning other states and they get to this point towards the end of the episode where they're like, he's now won Arizona. If we announce he's won Arizona, then we have to announce he's won the election because we've already called Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. right? And it becomes this almighty back and forth in these boardrooms. What do they do? And it all comes down as ever to these ridiculous petty things. You know, Kendall is going to side with Shiv and do what's best for the country. But then he finds out Shiv has been, you know, going behind their back and working with Matson, And so he says, fuck the country. Let's go with Menken. And at the end, they ultimately call it, ATN call it and say, Menken has become the next president of the United States. The title, uh, America Decides, 
the irony there in that it was really three rich little siblings who decided uh, ultimately, right, and made this call. And it all came down to their own personal selfish agendas. This is where the episode has led to. This is where in some ways the whole series has led to, I feel like. And this terrifying final moment of the episode where Mencken gives this horrifying speech to the country. He addresses the nation. What is going to happen next? Is he really going to become president? Have they called it wrong? Does that matter? Have the Roy siblings just fucked up the world with their decisions? It's explosive. I have to say, before we go into kind of our our breakdown uh, per character, as per usual format, this is... It's an episode written by Jesse Armstrong himself. And it's very much wearing its political satire and its political... um, mirrors on its sleeve yes it is very much the early calling of a president by a news network as we saw with Mm -hmm. george w bush i believe and also the whole uber prolonged kind of conversation about election fraud in the most recent american election which is still raging and still going on and is reaching kind of epic proportions of ridiculousness of course we can say this not being US citizens. And, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry if you're a secret uh, pundit of American politics, Mike. I am not, but I do enjoy watching the commentary of it. Uh, it is it is very much, a st- it's not even satire. It is literally repeating things that have happened in recent American political history. Yeah, yeah. And at the heart of that, and especially in the second half of the episode, we have this explosion between the sibs which has dire consequences for the country and dire consequences for the relationship between them it is it is the bomb that's exploded in between their relationship you know they have always sneaked around on each other but the third act of this episode i found to just be unbelievably great drama just phenomenal explosive like earth shattering yeah (laughs) and it's in the performances in the execution in the savagery of it all yeah i mean it is literally earth shattering isn't it i think this for me is one of my favorite ever episodes of succession i thought this whole hour of television was a masterpiece and i think you're right you know it's very this stuff that's going on in the election is very familiar we've seen it on the news we've seen this stuff actually happen in previous elections and i think that added this heft to this episode where it feels like this is the kind of natural endpoint to what we've watched over the last four seasons in a way like these selfish rich fuck-ups who are only interested in themselves in their own personal agenda in in getting one over on each other in their petty little differences and that is exactly what has shattered america and the world in this episode right we see where that naturally comes to and it's like succession and jesse armstrong is sort of saying you know these real world things that have been happening in elections and in politics this is who is to blame the one percent right and i thought that this was just so cleverly written where ultimately everything we've seen building this season these kind of snidey backstabbing plans that these three siblings have on each other all come to a head and this is the result of it right and yeah. um, and it's all just because Kendall wants to be CEO of his dad's company basically and I have to say like actually I don't I think it's an all-time episode I wouldn't call it one of my personal favorites mainly mm. because I just think that the 
the political mirroring of stuff is so on the nose on that the I nose. actually, yeah. I, I found it a little bit lacking. Like Perhaps because real life politics have gotten so extreme and so ridiculous that it's almost, it cannot, you cannot subject it to satire because real life is already so extreme that yeah. satirizing it kind of defeats the point because you can't make it any more extreme. You should you just repeat what happened literally yesterday or two months ago or two yeah. years ago. And it's it's just replication, which, yeah. you know, was like re- reality has just overcome fiction. Mm-hmm. But the the second half of it, I think, is tremendous. Like, I think once we get into the character of it all. I think the thing that I loved the most was the this feeling of like we were live in the newsroom, you know, on the studio floor, that kind of, yes. it felt, and, and Succession always has a bit of this, but it has that kind of very immediate kind of fly on the wall vibe to it, yes. particularly in this episode, right? And as somebody that used to work in live TV production, but also I've always mm. loved shows like The Newsroom, also The West Wing, yes. and that kind of, that buzz and excitement of tension of a newsroom having to deal with all of these cataclysmic events coming in and how they report on them and who decides that and what the presenters do and how they spin it. And there is something that felt so sort of authentic, but also so dramatically interesting, I think, about the way that we were, again, as we have been throughout this whole season so far, following just a a 24-hour or a 12-hour period, almost feeling like real time, right, um, of this election night. And again, you know, I've never paid a huge amount of... um, of attention to American politics up until recently, but I did stay up all night on the 2020 election and actually watched the coverage of on CNN. Oh, wow. And I watched the presenters as news came in. I watched them with their big board, mm. their touchscreen, you know, and so a lot of that kind of rang true. And yeah, mm. just getting a glimpse of here's what you see in the real world and here's the chaos that happens behind the scenes is really interesting, you know. And we finally get, and I'm sure we'll chat about him later on, we finally get a real glimpse at the danger of Mencken, Jared Mencken, played yes. by Justin Kirk because we he hasn't really shown up in the season yet mm-hmm. but he has been like this boogeyman you know since his first introduction particularly kind of Shiv's take on him is that he's dangerous that he is literally a fascist that is inching yeah. so close to power that it's 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 almost like a the rise of Hitler you know in a, in a new form that he's a real extremist and will drag the country down into a truly dangerous position mm-hmm. and We've kind of seen all of these opinions about him, but we've never seen him in action, right? We've seen him behind closed doors, especially, you know, in bathrooms with Roman. Yes. (laughs) But here we finally get a glimpse of him doing the political dance, right? We see him do a speech, his, you know, uh, first presidential speech towards the end of the episode. And, you know, without getting into real life, because I don't know anything about real life, but I do want to talk about succession. So, but the parallels are obvious, but whether it's really funny to make fun of someone like Donald Trump, because he's a buffoon on so many levels, especially in the political one, someone like Jared Mencken is chillingly efficient exactly he's you can see the politician that's operating there Mm -hmm. he's incredibly persuasive and scary you know his Mm -hmm. speech at the end is terrifying and it is truly kind of a neo-fascist kind of candidate and you can see why shiv is 
you know, she is looking out after herself, but there is an element of true fear of yeah, a candidate right. like that coming to real power. And I think we finally get a, a succession lets us get a glimpse of what it actually means that someone like that is in that position now. Yes, totally. And how essentially those siblings are going to be unaffected by it personally right it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna co- cause any problems for them hmm. uh, 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 you know if, if anything it's going to benefit them probably but uh but yes what it means for the rest of the world the world that we barely see in succession right because yeah. we're so in this bubble in fact it sometimes feels like rather and you know sophie are the hmm. only glimpse we get of like oh this is how it's actually affecting people down on kind of quote unquote street level I suppose you know as opposed to up in these boardrooms and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah it it really I think you really feel that weight don't you at the end when they're watching Mencken give his speech and he's Mm. yeah like you said that very kind of clear language he's using about kind of cleansing and all this kind of stuff right and you just think purity and yeah and like you just yeah it's it's uh, it's a really harrowing way to end the episode yeah Oh my god. So where do we begin? Who do we begin with, Anna? Should we start with Shiv, same as like last episode? Yeah. Mainly because honestly, Mike, I think our whole theory of, you know, not not just mine or yours, but kind of the internet's theory that each season has been about a Roy sibling has been thrown out the window this season because yeah. this is Shiv season. Mm. This is the race is over. I think Sarah Snook has just locked down her Emmy yeah. over the last two episodes, her SAG award, any any other kind of performance awards that you can imagine. She's going to eat them all up. I agree. Because between the conversation, the argument on the balcony from last week's episode yeah. and the scene in the boardroom and the conversation with Tom in this episode, it is, it is 100% Siobhan's season, this yeah. one. And she gets to play so much nuance that it goes. Uh, I think she genuinely might be one of the one of the best characters in television history. Definitely one of the best female characters in television history. And I think there's there's something really flailing about her in this episode. You know, the conversation she has with Tom, where by the way, absolutely wastes the reveal of her pregnancy mm. to Tom where she's like oh by the way I'm pregnant with your with your child yeah and it is devastating when he doesn't believe her he's like is this a play Oof. is this another strategy and she same similarly when he really gets to her she can't really retort she just has to leave mm. and she leaves yeah and then it, it's just full of confrontations between Shiv and the men in her life. And she just messes up every single one of them. She messes up that conversation with um, with Tom, where, again, very ill-timed, very just Yeah, why random, on earth did she choose then? What on earth? Like, bad timing, bad strategy. Yeah. And also the whole, my dad just died. I'm like, okay, you cannot keep using that goddamn excuse, Shiv. Okay, find another reason. <laughs> yeah. Literally. You cannot keep throwing the my dad died thing in Tom because at this point he's like, okay, I'm done. Like, okay, I get it. Your dad's mm. dead. I'm sorry. But also move the fuck on. Or like at least stop. She's using it as an excuse for everything. Yeah. And when that didn't work, she immediately jumped to the pregnancy as an excuse as well for kind of that 
blow our conversation. Mm. I'm like, and again, is it because, you know, she's scared of what Tom might do for, uh, in terms of ATN calling certain I think that's what it was, right? I I can only assume that must be why she chose that time Mm -hmm. to be like, it was a desperate bid to get Tom on her side, right? And to be like, please side with me here. You know, I want to apologize. I want to, you know, let, you know, kind of offer an olive branch. Okay, that didn't work. Let me tell you I'm having your baby. It feels like a last ditch attempt to be like, don't, don't answer to my brothers tonight answer to me kind of thing yeah yeah Yeah, exactly especially because previously we see her tell nate you know when he's like oh who's are you gonna cover the uh the burning of the of the ballots you know who's watching the watchman and she retorts who watches the watchman i fucking do so she's put herself in this role of i am the moral authority here and i must keep these boys under control and she fails once again outsmarted by people who she thinks she is smarter than mm. you know we i'm sure we'll get into the the big blowout in the boardroom later but even her weak intimidation of greg oh it's pathetic i know that was quite infuriating actually wasn't it because i re- yeah. i would really like to see her destroy greg <laughs> like greg as ever being like just the lowest of the low in this episode in this episode as well right and like basically is part of the reason all of this stuff happens this week as well isn't he really you know the fact that it all comes down to greg (laughs) his little shrug at ship oh i I mean my tv's too expensive to punch but if it was less expensive i would punch it well while while we're on on greg and and shiv what did you make of that scene with them like where she said, like, do you find me attractive, Greg, and stuff? Like, what a strange scene. Because you know there have been some theories that people have had online that mm. like did something happen between these two? And could it be that Greg is the father of Shiv's baby and stuff? Now like Oh my god, calm down, internet. But I almost wondered if like they were going to play on that in some way. Like, I've never believed that it was Greg's baby, but, like, it was an interesting way for them to start that scene. Um, But she did a good job of making Greg feel uncomfortable there, but not enough. She should have kept pushing. (laughs) Yeah, but also, again, it's... Greg is such an... It's so easy to manipulate him. It's so easy to buy him, right? Mm. He flip-flops all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, you basically... Like, she could have offered him a goddamn watch or, like, a a nicer office or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he would have folded. Yeah. But also, how stupid do you have to get to try to wing back Greg to kind of protect a valuable piece of information that he has accidentally got his paws on, Mm. knowing that he's thick as thieves with your traitorous husband, and knowing that he has also in the past helped out Kendall, Mm. and Mm -hmm. that he is a slimy sleazeball that will do whatever it takes to like put himself in a nicer position. And the only thing she thinks of offering him is not killing him. (laughs) I know. Which, you know... I'm like, Shiv, are you for real? Are you for real? This is the only thing. Literally, just throw some fucking money at him. Yeah. That's all you needed to do. You make the stupidest decision in the easiest possible position. And you, like, antagonize him in a way. Like, what what is she going to do? Yeah, she could probably have him killed, but also she won't. Of course she won't. So it's just such a bullish thing to say that she fucks up her own scheme Mm -hmm. because she cannot be bothered to... properly intimidate greg it's just lazy intimidation isn't it it reminds me of the very is it the very first episode or the second episode where um 
Roman sends Greg out on an errand to retrieve some paperwork from Logan's yes. flat and then Shiv calls him and tells him Second to delay episode. it, right? And Greg is kind mm-hmm. of caught between them. He ends up going with Shiv that, at that point, doesn't he? Because he's yes. like, I think Shiv is maybe the better person of them and maybe I should go with her. And again, it's kind of mm-hmm. like how far Greg has come or fallen, right? Since since even the beginning of season one. It's really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, that was a, it's a sad, I mean, Sh- Shiv, we talk about, people talk about Kendall as this kind of like, almost Shakespearean tragic character. Shiv is like a Shakespearean tragic character as well, isn't she really? She's such a flop. Everything she strives for then collapses time and time again as well. And, you know, what's she going to do? She's left at the end by sort of walking out of the building on the phone to Matson being like, right, we're going to take them down. We're going to destroy it. You know, like... What's, what's she, she going to do? do that. All, all she's got left now is Matson, who at some point is going to come out about him fudging his numbers and then what's going to happen? You know, like I feel like she's... And he's going to fuck her over. And he, and he's going to fuck her over. Exactly. So That's so blatantly obvious. <sighs> but then also I go, well, Shiv's a multi-billionaire. Just go and live on an island and enjoy your life, Shiv. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but she's not going to enjoy anything. No, she's capable she's of enjoying anything. That. I know. And you know, it's just, it, it is really frustrating, except that of course it gives us a brilliant scene like the one at the end where again stupid ass decision to fake a conversation with nate oh and to lie to their faces in that situation yeah just say you couldn't get through to him or something like that just like another kind of lie that could not be held against you because again stupid decision and i think i should say at this point um i was wrong last episode when i was railing against uh ken and nate not like that friendship not really being told to us. Thank you for the listener who DM'd me and pointed it out to me. It has been established. They went to college together and they know each other. Not sufficiently, I would say, but still, it is a, it's a separate relationship that Ken and Nate have. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't control that, right? Yeah, yeah. Not in the way that she thinks. Exactly. And it is ruined. That, that, can, that lie is exposed so quickly with a single phone call. And oh my God, Mike, that shot where we just see Ken go out and make that phone call and look at her. Yeah. And the way Sarah Snook is just watching him, her face not moving and her eyes just following him as he moves oh. along the corridor to Greg fucking Hirsch it's so and honestly, she sees the confirmation it's such good acting it's so real because like she's still kind of half having to keep a conversation going with Roman who's like going on and on at her at that point about China and stuff and yeah. she's kind of still half in that conversation but her eyes are glimpsing out at Kendall and you can see the stress and worry on her fa- face but she's also trying to hold it together and again like I agree with you Sarah Snook just like her body and her face do like a thousand things at once and she's just astonishing like the layers she's working on in this episode like those moments that she has with Ken where Kendall is kind of you know he sort of says let's quote unquote be honest for a minute and he sort of says Mm -hmm. I want to be CEO I want to do it on my own I want to be honest with you about that and she kind of goes thank you for telling me I appreciate it and then she sort of says but and she's sort of saying, look, you're a good person, Ken, side with me. And obviously she's trying to work him. He's having a moment where he's trying to be kind of honest with her and they kind of behaving like they're being there for each other, right? Mm. But then actually this whole time we know that Shiv is going behind his back and is double crossing him. But she does also actually, I think, feel guilty and tense about betraying her brothers, right? And that, that's that been bubbling along through the season. And again, 
all of that is in her performance while she's having those conversations where she's kind of like I want to be nice to Kendall here I want I want us to be on the same side but also I am secretly screwing him over with Matson and like all of that is happening in those scenes of dialogue in boardrooms in this and it's yeah it's so good I think there's something about Shiv's inability to commit to anything that has been really yes. obvious this season and I mean that in a way like in her inability to commit to Tom fully you know in a kind of romantic personal way her inability to commit to a scheme really because even when they're setting up at the very beginning of the season they're setting up the hundred and she comes in and it's like why don't we buy peers and then yeah. suddenly it's like well why don't we buy you know why don't we run Waystar instead of peers mm -hmm. and then she kind of keeps bouncing between these two things and then even you know she she won't commit to her brothers probably rightly so because they would and have betray her yes but then she also she always tries to keep her options open and she's constantly caught out in those things you know the having conversations about conversations from the first episode mm -hmm. of this series mm -hmm. the keeping her options open when she's confronted and even in that conversation with ken that you were just uh, talking about she could have just said i i haven't spoken to nate i don't want this to I don't want this to happen or I don't want this to be blocked or whatever. That's yeah. that's the opportunity. And the yeah. consequences would have been very different from what eventually happens because Ken is an emotional beast. Mm. So he's very reactive. And if he like feels upset and betrayed, even if his gut is telling him not to go with Menken, he's like, fine. I'm going with Roman, yeah. not because I believe in this decision, but nope. because I don't want to do what Shiv wants to do. Well, Ke Kendall is at, maybe at his most infuriating this week as well because of his kind of, you know, but he's kind of honest about it. You know, he sort of says, look, I don't know about going with Menkin. And yeah, partly because it's not good for the country, but also he doesn't like that Roman is best pals with Menkin and he isn't, right? And again, it mm. all comes down to his personal pride and what, what scenario is going to see him as the top dog and not his siblings, right? And uh, this is what influences all of his decisions in this episode as well, which is infuriating. God damn you, I mean, Kendall. It's it's a real... It's it's also has a whole thing about fatherhood as well. And that mm. came up in the last episode and it comes up again here. And in that moment of confidence with Shiv, he tells her, no, I don't think I'm a good dad. Yeah. And he's doing, you know, when he's, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Kendall, he, he's he's got such a twisted conception of love that he thinks that putting covert surveillance on his ex-wife and his daughter is like a, quote, extra layer of bubble wrap to protect her. <laughs> Jesus. And yeah. he, that that makes sense in his head. But I think like there is this the same as with Mencken, you know, he feels this niggle of like, I don't think that's actually good, but I don't know what else to do. Because he doesn't fully know how to function. He's not a full human being, right? Mm. Not really. And Shiv is just as messed up. I mean, they're all messed up. That's why we're doing this this podcast. But Shiv cannot even say the words. Yeah. Her her delusion, her self-delusion of herself as being like the morally superior one. Mm -hmm. And at the same time as the maligned one. All together, it's like this weird... Um, intensely watchable combination of arrogance and insecurity yeah 
you know, like when she's confronted by her lies, she starts stammering. She's like, I, 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 well, I, I do this. And then, and it's, it's really pitiful. And then she's like, well, there comes a time in everybody's life when you must stand up for the things you mean. It is, it's mock, it's obviously they mock her. It's laughable. Yeah. Because it does not come from a real place. And, you know, contrasting that with like Mencken's speech at the end, which is vile, but it comes from a place of like someone truly believes this fascist shit. Yeah. So like it rings decisive and true totally. in a really scary way. And Schiff, because all of this like self self delusion of being, you know, liberal and forward thinking and like wanting to protect the republic and democracy, it's bullshit. Yeah. It is absolute bullshit. She thinks she believes that, but she doesn't, which is why she stammers and falls down on her words and cannot make one of her ploys stick mm-hmm. because she doesn't actually believe that A, she deserves it. And B, she doesn't believe in what she's actually doing. She doesn't believe. And that's why she keeps flopping around because she aligns herself with people. And we've been seeing this since the very first season in people she doesn't think can go as far as she imagines in her delusion she's capable of going. She aligns herself with Joyce in season one, Mm -hmm. can only get her to senator level. She thinks that Nate believes that Gil can make it to the White House. He sticks with Gil. Shivs leaves that. Yeah. She does not fully follow through working for her dad. Yeah. And she does not even believe fully in Matson either. Mm-hmm. So like she keeps like flopping between people and failing at everything because she cannot commit to a single path. Yeah. And these yeah, and you're so right and that ultimately this is none of these siblings have any kind of values really. Like that even Roman who kind of in some ways is the most out and out like I'm supporting the fascists, I'm choosing chaos basically, right? Is is what Roman is. but even Roman like I don't know whether I necessarily believe that he really believes in the stuff that Mencken does. I think it's more that he's just like, this guy's good for us. Let's choose him, you know. And I think Ro- Roman's lane is capitalism, baby. Capitalism. He just wants the money. Exactly. He doesn't actually un- believe. I don't think he even cares about Mencken's politics, but he sees his value for him as a corporate player. Exactly. It's com- it's completely personal gain with Roman, as it is with all of them, right? But Roman is a little bit more upfront about it. He's very honest about it. Chillingly, in fact, I would say. In this episode, Roman is quite scary. I, I, you know, it really kind of... I, I feel like, again, that the show calls into question and makes us reckon with ourselves as viewers and at how much we have liked slash rooted for each of these characters at different points throughout this series. And then it's like, actually, no, the, the show constantly reminds us these are bad people. These are selfish people. And Roman is his absolute most evil, chaotic, nasty troll self in this episode, right? Where he is single-mindedly going at one goal and one goal only and fuck the rest of the world for it, basically. Yeah. Like, every time someone, mostly Shiv, reminds him, it's like, you know, democracy matters. He's like, ah! He's like, every boat must be counted. He's like, ah! Yeah. Not really, though. Not really. And he goes behind everyone's back and he gives Ravenhead, who's one of the on-screen anchors, talking points. And gives him like surreptitious, you know, under under the radar kind of permission to go hog wild and really Mencken-esque um, and start spewing kind of propaganda on air 
behind everybody's back. Terrifying. It's just, I mean, Roman is terrifying in this episode. <laughs> like, <gasps> you know, he Roman really, is he's like a bull. Fascinating. Yeah. He is like a bull. Mm. And I don't know if you got this feeling, but this is the close. It, it feels like a transformative episode for Roman because we've already seen this sort of in other episodes, especially the previous one. But here he's the closest thing to Logan that we've seen any of the Sibs be. Yeah. Yeah. He has that same, you know, aggressive decisiveness, that dismissiveness to anything that doesn't align with his interests, that like very quick fire way of moving along of like, you know, fuck off or yes, we do this or yes. that He's calculating the plays and the benefits yes. that it has for his purposes, including, you know, stuff that is kind of comic relief, like, you know, Connor wanting um, back in the ambassador, uh, back on the ambassador offer yeah. and to be his fun guy in Uruguay, mm. uh, even though that was like yesterday's news. But he he'll rapidly kind of adjust and he just he's walking in and out of rooms all the time in this episode he's like we're doing this now we're doing that he's making plays he's just saying these things he's not faffing around in the way that shiv or ken or even tomar he's just making shit happen whatever the cost yeah exactly that um and he his body language like you said he acts more like a boss in this episode he acts more like a ceo he's not that kind of younger brother with all these anxieties kind of Kieran Culkin curling himself up into a ball in this episode he is stomping around he's bossing people about like you said he he's acting like Logan he's acting like a CEO he knows what to say to different people in different rooms to get the result he the result he needs right he is absolutely firing on all cylinders in a way on this ep- in this episode you know mm-hmm. he knows that Menken is 100% behind him and I think that gives him that confidence as well it's like it's like he needs that older brother or that daddy figure behind him to kind of like help him with his confidence in these moments right you know and it's it's like there's a moment in his um conversation with ken that really stood out for me is it the steak and chicken uh, conversation because oh my god yeah the steak and chicken but then like he again in true roman fashion he takes like a weirdly psychosexual turn Mm. but he's so concerned with like how atn will look you know he doesn't really think that much about himself it's more about the company it's all about you know he says we look like the most dickless eunuchs in cucktown i was like okay roman you're just you're just talking about yourself and it's this thing of like because and this is what shiv threw in his face at the start of the season because roman can't fuck a person he's gonna fuck the entire country yeah he literally says nothing matters dad's dead and the country's a big pussy waiting to get fucked like he's transformed his like you know psychosexual impotent issues into i'm gonna fuck the entire country and put a fascist into power because then i will like if I can do it this one way, I'll do it another way. Exactly that. Exactly that. He's on a destructive path. Uh, as opposed to, like, we always say Kendall is almost, like, self-destructive. He is just destructive, yeah. right? And outwardly. Yeah. And, yeah, that that line, nothing matters, dad's dead. Yeah, that is a really... It's funny, but there's also something quite chilling about it, right? Again, this idea Very, of Roman... I found him scary. He's scary. He's choosing chaos. It reminded me of that line he said when he snapped at Matson in, in Norway, where he goes... I'm gone. I'm d- I'm done. Like he's basically given up on 
any kind of humanity, any kind of value, any kind of loyalty. He's just like absolutely going for it now in whatever will cause the the best results, you know? And like, there's nothing else and nothing matters. Like, you know, it's crazy. Nothing matters to him. And it's this, you know, I make the joke of like, he's he's cap- he's all about capitalism, but like, he does feel like he's more than any of the other ones blended himself with the interests of the company. Yes. In the way that like, logan had as well where it's like it's not about me roman it's not even about logan anymore it's about the bottom line Mm. it's about what how to keep us in power at whatever cost i feel like even the roman from last season that would have been like maybe we don't fire the woman that's you know accusing us of sexual harassment all those times when he would actually start to stick up for people i feel like that Mm. roman is gone now by this point you know yeah Yeah, really really terrifying (laughs) and even you know just to echo the parallels and i think they're really deliberate in this episode with logan where Mm. He, again, it's it's really chilling to watch. He says, we just made a night of good TV. Yes. Nothing, nothing, nothing happens. Nothing matters. Yeah. And Shiv kind of from the background at the very end says things do happen. But he doesn't see it that way. And, you know, again, that parallel comes up where he gets a phone call immediately after Mencken's speech is done. He gets a phone call from Mencken. Mm. And he looks at it. It's exactly how we saw Logan have a relationship with the previous president, nicknamed the Raisin. Yeah, right? yeah. He has this direct line to the president. He's like, "Oh, hello, yo, you know, yeah. yo, Hocus Pocus." Yeah, yeah. He has this direct line to the president of the United States, and that proximity to power makes him the most powerful person at this point in time at Waste Iroko. Absolutely. It puts him above puts him above Ken. Even like in their weird little CEO bro CEO bros oh, partnership. Totally. He's he's out um he's outranked Ken now. Totally. And Ken knows that, doesn't he? Ken hates it. Yeah. And you you know, I don't know what's gonna happen because we've only got two episodes left, but you could absolutely imagine that this would start a whole new arc of Ken wanting to destroy Roman because he doesn't like that he's in the president's pockets and Kendall isn't, you know, like that would be yeah. the next the next thing that they would choose to do in this kind of scenario usually. But who knows? We only have two episodes left. We don't know what's gonna happen. But yeah, it is it's a it's a chilling episode for Roman. It's a chilling arc for Roman. He he showed such signs of humanity at the beginning of the season. He was in a good mm. place for him, but no, it's gone. It's entirely gone. Um and same as Kendall, right? What do we think of Kendall this week? I mean, again, flip flopping <sighs> around literally i mean he's worrying about his his daughter yeah but i think he, you know we've known this for a while now he's just too far gone there was like there's a sort of like protective well he's in a lot of doubt this episode and occasionally kind of the protective like fatherly streak comes out like when tom snaps at Shiv in front of the two guys mm. and he yells at Tom like you better fucking watch it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, but the the boardroom scene when he figures out Shiv's betrayal, he is he's unblinking. Mm. And he goes straight to Greg and you they do this really interesting play with sound in that in that whole kind of, you know, unfolding because uh, it happens twice. You know, they're in these mirrored boardrooms and Shiv goes onto this little room and, you know, she's saying that she's she's pretending to call Nate and 
suddenly we cut to her perspective and we just hear that it's just some, you know, empty um, recording machine or like a, a recorded yeah. voice sounding. And similarly, as we follow through her eyes, Kendall moving from having a conversation with Nate to going to Greg and we just hear faintly like, what's going on, Greg? Mm. Do you know anything that's going on? Because he fucking knows that Greg will sing. Of course. He absolutely knows that. Like, come on. How devastatingly dumb do you have to be that you get outplayed by both Kendall and Gregory? Oh. Ridiculous. And Tom Wamsgangs. Oh. Seriously. We, yeah. I mean, maybe we should talk about Tom Wamsgangs next as well, because, like, he's having a... (laughs) He's having a pretty mad one in this episode. Tom is on fire. Tom (laughs) will only have cocaine, uh, spaghetti, olive oil. Nothing else, nothing that could potentially upset his digestive system, because then, you know, democracy might suffer. His digestive system is part of the constitution. Again, (laughs) Tom, what an awful human being, but Matthew McFadden, I I just thought he was a joy to watch through this whole episode. He was fucking brilliant. (laughs) We're back to pond life because he failed to give me a double shot. (laughs) It's so good. It's Just so beautiful. good. Yeah. Beautiful. And obviously he gets he has a whole menti bee about bodega sushi. That's about amazing. the fact that someone dared to give him like sushi bought from, you know, like a corner <laughs> shop or something. Yeah. Would you eat sushi bought from a corner shop, Mike? Do you know what? I I do get a little bit weird about stuff like that, and I think I really? would be a little bit worried. I am a bit of a food paranoid type person. Like, Are I'm, you? I'm the sort of person who like as soon as chicken is even like on the day of it, if it's expiration date, I don't want to eat it. I'm oh like, my God, I get paranoid. On election yeah. day. <laughs> and do you know what? I if I had to work overnight, I would be worried about giving myself the shits or something. You know, I'd be like, do you know what? Let's <laughs> let's go for something like dry and safe. You know, like uh, I mean, I have such an insane. Um, obsession with sushi it's like my favorite food ever <laughs> i have unfortunately for my digestive system had bodega sushi Uh-oh. it was all fine it was okay. actually fine yeah. yeah i think like i just love it so much that i'm kind of inured to every single parasite that's probably living in the in the <laughs> yeah. fish but yeah it's the only takeaway i get to be honest yes I, yes, yes yeah sushi for breakfast lunch and dinner personally in my house fair but, enough fair enough yeah, yeah. and i i have to <laughs> We'll get to Greg later, but holy shit, only Greg could fuck up eating sushi and actually physically injure someone. Oh my god, yeah, that, that it's a strange, yeah, because there are these moments, particularly with Tom and Greg, of just like pure broad comedy in this episode, yeah. you know, yeah, the whole like that. sneaky, little homoerotic moment when they do cocaine together where they're like, shut the doors and they like get behind the whiteboard and everything is hilarious. <laughs> When they get behind the board, board, the whiteboard to do coke, and he's like, "Oh, you know, just rubbing the board instantly." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so good, so good. The disgusting brothers but, back on disgusting form in this episode. You know, I have to say there was one shot, all jokes aside, of Tom in that conversation with Shiv, which is when she storms off, and it's just a close-up of Matthew McFadden's face, mm-hmm. and it's when it hits them. And it's like, oh, she's, she's probably not yeah. lying yeah yeah but he doesn't do anything about that though does he like he doesn't he's done with her like i think after that conversation think, yeah. on the balcony i think he's officially done i mean also he was in the middle of a stressful night maybe he'll feel bad about it the next day but uh he uh he while we might have seen in the past him wanting to go back to her and reconcile mm. with her in moments like that 
he just does not seem interested anymore and then you know at the end again in that boardroom them making the call and tom coming in and just completely going with what the boys say and not even listening not even barely acknowledging shiv basically again it's just such a slap in the face and when he does is to make disparaging remarks really gendered stuff like you know there's and again i know this dialogue is specific and intentional you know where he uses the word unhinged and hysterical and emotional literally all the things that tom has been throughout this episode right if there's one person that's unhinged in this episode it's tom womsky you know why he's unhinged mike because he has to do his fucking job for one day. Yeah, for once, exactly. And he fucks it up. What's up with the touchscreen? Oh What's up God. with the touchscreen, Tom? Do you know, as someone that did used to, never on elections, thank God, but as somebody that used to work on live TV shows for the BBC, <laughs> that was giving me an extra anxiety as well. Like I when did something like that goes wrong. You. Oh my God. Like I did wonder about you because your background is kind of producing for the BBC. Did yeah. you get like... Uh, flashbacks of something going wrong with like yeah. the graphics on live TV. Always, always like that. <laughs> like there's something so like tense because you feel so powerless in those kind of situations when you're sat in like the gallery watching through monitors and mm. like something goes wrong, but you're live on telly and everyone just kind of like flails and looks around at whose fault it might be, and you just think to yourself, "Please God, let that not be my fault," you know. And uh, it is. <laughs> It's, it's terrifying. That kind of thing is terrifying. Yeah. And so I felt for Tom in that moment of the touchscreen going down. <laughs> and also having followed an American election all night on CNN, I saw how important that touchscreen was. Like that that screen, the big board Fine. is very, very important. Um, so yeah, I thought that whole drama with the touchscreens was hilarious. And Tom's little that mel- was very meltdowns funny. were brilliant. But you're absolutely right. Like the gendered language this idea that Shiv is just being completely outnumbered by these men who are just like completely dismissing her. It's it's sorted. Yeah. It's really sorted. And it really does feel really bullish. Mm-hmm. Even even Greg, right? Even Greg knows that like, oh, Shiv isn't a threat well, to me kind of thing. Shall know? we talk about Greg? Yeah. Because yeah. he gets stuff to do this this episode. He does. He does. I mean, he's just very much on his Greg form, though, isn't he? He has his comedy moments with Tom. He has his sneaky, slimy moments with Kendall, Shiv. I want to fucking murder this character. <laughs> I don't think I've pivoted so hard from loving a character to hating a character so much. Yes. I, every time he shows up on screen, I wanted to throw, like, a shoe at my TV screen. Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> even the... He, he even when he you know he went out with Matson and his gang the previous mm. night and you know I found that part really funny you know he, Nicholas Brown is very good in kind of this almost like confused deadpan delivery delivery where he's like why well, I didn't want to dance but they made us dance I was I asked to drink things, things that weren't that drinks that aren't yeah. drinks yeah. <laughs> and then just casually like boop do you know about Matson and Shiv and their whole like business alliance thing. Mm. Do you know that? Do you want to? Do you want us to strategize? Do you want to fry her ass up? Excuse oh, me. Oh God! Yeah. Mostly, it's that. Of course, he was going to betray Shiv. He has no allegiance to her, and she's not offered him anything, even when he explicitly says what he wants. Silence is golden. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he's yeah. being mentored in deception by Tom. Like mm. Shiv should fucking know this. Mm-hmm. But then that. Oh my God, Mike! I'm gonna. I cannot. <laughs> that little shrug. And then I had to rewind to double check. But when he also does a little smirk as he leaves the frame. I hate him. I absolutely hate him. I hope Shiv does kill him. Like, destroy him. I hope she does. Yeah. 
Um, and, and, and also there's something I found really chilling about the moment he has at the end. It's with Jess, I think, isn't it? Is yes. It with Kendall's okay. assistant, Jess. What, what did you... Cause this... I need him to stay away from Jess. Yeah. I need him to stay away from Jess. Jess, please keep your distance. Do not get confused by the tallness. Do not. It yeah. is not worth it. Especially not with that, like, six foot seven slime bag. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I... It was a weird thing, but also... Jess is a character that, like, hasn't gotten that much screen time really definitely no. not the season she's usually kind of you know having a reaction to one of ken's shenanigans mm-hmm. but greg is just like i think he knows he'll be fine because he again he will just switch to whichever side he needs to be on yeah he's like a, he's like a cockroach he'll always survive he will and i think there's that there's that I don't know, it feels like there's something important too about the fact that he's having that conversation with Jess, a character who we haven't seen much this season, right? Kendall's assistant, she's she's not a white man at the top, right? And I think, you know, there is this realisation, I think, as this episode draws to a conclusion that the world is going to become a much more dangerous place with Menken at the top. It's going to be very dangerous for anyone who doesn't look like him, who isn't a white man, right? And I think Greg, this tall, good-looking white guy who has links to the top of the ladder uh is kind of having this moment with you know uh, an assistant jess about this cataclysmic thing he's about to do he's about to push the button on this world-changing event and uh, they have a moment together where it's like is this okay and you can see it in jess's face that she's like this is bad right and greg almost acknowledges that it's bad and there's almost a moment when greg could be the better person and go actually should i be doing this this is not good but in his Greg way, he kind of goes, he shrugs and goes, oh, well, let's do it, you know. Let's and go off with the fascists. It's God. Fake flag. It's- which is something that Roman yells a lot for this episode. <laughs> Fake, flagging. Fake flag. It's all so petty, isn't it? When they're like, well, my guy just texts me four smiley faces. And then it's like, my guy texts me two aubergines and uh, uh, eggplant, two- Eggplant flag. Eggplant, eggplant flag. Exactly. And it's like, oh, God, it's just like, this is, these are the people running the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Four Smileys is symptomatic of the complacency at the heart of his out-of-touch campaign. Meanwhile, Eggplant Eggplant Flag reeks of the misogynistic bravado that has so repelled the medium voter. So good. False flag! So good, so good. (laughs) (laughs) But it feels like the right time to talk a little bit about the actual political candidates, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Shall we start with poor forgotten elder son connor oh connor who loses kentucky i know God damn it, Kentucky. connor again brilliant love him uh although he makes oh, some so bad good. decisions here so do he, so does willa like you know uh this is this is where they again they all show their true colors right where they're like willa's like well he is right wing but vienna and like what's the thing they say they say something hilarious yeah. about having different meals in different countries around europe yeah basically. like breakfast in vienna dinner in dinner dubrovnik, in dubrovnik. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which to be fair sounds fabulous it does it sounds good to me do you know my my like theory this season that connor's gonna humiliate himself on a large scale i mean nobody really cares but i think he kind of does when he goes off and says you know what well i happen to be a billionaire so what <laughs> America, you flunked it. 
I shall not dignify my running mate by name with a name check because they could not hack it. It's so good because he basically threatens America and then says, God yeah. bless America, doesn't he? He's like, America, be the, afraid. The, the con heads are the coming. The con heads are coming. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you and God bless America. <laughs> So good. And watching everyone's reaction to his speech. Oh my and god. And also, again, shout out to the senior staff collective. When they were like, is was Connor Roy running for president? Yeah. And just burst into laughs. Oh my god, I just love it. Delightful. So, although also FYI, did you notice? No Jerry. Is Jerry gone? Are we ever gonna see Jerry again? Like oh. I'm sure we'll see her again, probably at the funeral, because she did work with Logan for like 30 yes, years. But yes, I yes. think, yeah, I think she's She's made her piece. She's done her deal. Yeah. Yeah, she's going to get, like, eye-watering sums of money. Jerry's going to be fine. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. In fact, I'm glad for her that she's out of here. But yeah, Frank and Cole, brilliant. What? Connor was running for president? And then their little giggle Lol. together. Lol. Yeah. Yeah. So good. It's great. So good. And then we see a brief glimpse of Jimenez, the sort of, the, you know, the Democratic candidate. Yes. Who has to unfortunately entertain Kendall for 30 seconds on the phone. Yeah, I know. Hilarious. Uh, I've seen a couple of people complain about why haven't we been given more of him on screen. But it makes sense for me in the world of the show because he's not really had anything to do with the Roys, right? Like, that's the point is that they're in Menken's pocket. So, you know, like, we only get the world from the perspective of Shiv, Kendall and Roman for the most part, right? So, um, And we haven't even, we haven't also seen much of Mencken either, no. by contrast, right? No. So we only see him once he is like, it's election night exactly. and he has the requisite call from Roman and they're doing active negotiation. He has this really chilling conversation with Roman. It was like, well, how are we gonna make sure that I win even when I lose? It's very Trumpy, that, isn't it, as well? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's, it's very on the nose. It's very on the nose, yeah. and again, quite chilling. And yeah, this idea that like we'll work towards four years' time if we lose. And also, he mm. basically promises Roman, like, we'll be in partnership together if this happens, kind of thing, right? And it's yeah. like, that's where the deal yeah. is made. Yeah. We'll go far. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Jimenez, we don't, like you say, we don't get much of him. He, he's a 30 seconds phone call, very dismissive of the Roys, right? Um, and then, in a polite kind of in way. In a polite, yeah. in, in an actual, like he seems like an actual politician kind of way. And he gives that speech where he sounds a bit like a politician. And then we get Hugo being like, boring, you know, f- what does he say? Like, flop your, yeah, flop your like, dick out or something. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, flop your dick out? Pop or not? Yeah. I'm like, great, Hugo. Great, great contribution to this episode. Yeah. The maturity of all of these men in Waystar. <laughs> Hilarious, right? They're all obsessed. What is their, all of their obsessions with dicks? All of them, right? I mean, you know, like everyone's obsessed with dicks, especially men. <laughs> with their so. own and with everyone else's. Know, right? <laughs> so funny. But there is a real like change of pace when men can actually wins mm. isn't there it, everything slows down doesn't it does yeah and we get this like we get Menken's speech in full but only glimpses of justin kirk we see kind of everyone's reaction and everyone is you know stunned into silence it's yeah and it's scary what did you think of the speech? I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was powerful, scary television. I think this is an important show. Like I said, me and Rihanna mm. were talking about it afterwards and we were like, I wish more people would watch this. Like, and you know, the only people that watch it would be on the political side of this show anyway, right? But like, mm. it feels important. It feels like a scary, 
obviously it's reflecting on stuff that has already happened, but it also feels like a cautionary tale. Like this is how somebody like Trump, but with brains could very easily be, yes. you know, in the limelight next, right? And, uh, and you know, having this kind of manic hour of television where it's heightened mm. and it's slapstick at times with the sushi incident and it's broad, but it's also dark. But then all of it taking a moment in that last five minutes to just be like, here is the result of all of this petty bullshit. Here is where this has yeah. led her, led us, right? And it really did give me like a knot in my stomach. I think it's a really brilliantly directed moment where, like you said, we actually don't see much of Mencken. We hear his speech and we just see all of these people's mm. reactions to it, right? And it's um, it's kind of indifference with Roman. It's devastation with Shiv. Mm. It's kind of... I'm not sure how I feel about this from Kendall, right? And it's like, it's a really powerful moment, I think. Yeah. And also that speech is so brilliantly and chillingly written. Yes. No, I come begging for your vote. Welfare check book out. Crowning welfare queens and kings till everyone's become a little tyrant crowned by the state. The layers of like racist, classist language in those... And then, fuck, the democracy I believe in is where a leader emerged from the people, willed almost into being, brought forth by the great sweetness of the virtue of the combined wisdom of the people of this republic. Jesus. Don't we long sometimes for something clean once in this polluted land? That's what I hope to bring. Not something grubby with compromise, something clean and true and refreshing, something proud and pure. <sighs> fucking goosebumps made especially those like you know i don't think this is slight like this is fascist language clean pure proud pollution truth like all of this shit virtue and you know a a true leader this is like this is this is nazi speak it's nazi speak exactly it's it honestly it gave me a knot in my stomach like it's a really powerful moment so well written by jesse armstrong like it's really good isn't it it's really it's great it's great drama in that it's horrifying yeah it's one of those things, and I think I saw a tweet from someone, I think it was a journalist, who said that, you know, this is like a horror. Yeah. This is like a horror film. Yeah, You know, it's absolutely. an episode of a horror show, if you think about it for, for a second. And the fact that it is delivered in such a way that, you know, we have become quite used to because of the rise of the extreme right in so many different countries, both in Europe and in the States and another, uh, around the world. Yeah. It's chilling because, you know, in the world of succession, so far there hasn't really been any real consequences for any of the actions. Exactly. They've gotten away with manslaughter. They've gotten away with betrayal. They've gotten away with, like, pretty much everything. Tons and decades of abuses and abuses of power and abuses of people, Mm, like, mm -hmm. loss of life, everything. And we never really see the effects of that or even kind of, we only get, like, real glimpses you know like at the end of season two when we meet the family of the of the waiter who was killed by kendall's um excesses and kind of seeing menken's speech really chilled the blood in my veins because i was like oh fuck there's there it is i know the the political kind of uh comparisons are so evident and so you know on the nose you know i don't think that's particularly wickedly smart but goddamn the speech just reminds you of the actual terror of a true believer yeah and in uh, in these things yeah and i think when it comes to that kind of thing maybe maybe it's important to be 
on the nose about it you know like it reminds me of something i think spike lee said about when he did black Klansman, where like obviously <sighs> spike lee does that thing where he goes very on the nose like he literally ends that film with a montage of like trump footage and charlottesville and stuff right and i remember him <laughs> saying like we are the time has gone to be subtle with subtext the time has come to actually shout in america's face look at what is happening right and i i do feel like maybe with something like this it is it is such an obvious comparison to what's really going on but maybe like maybe that's important and i kind of like the way that the show has kind of given us this really fun quite irreverent dark twisted show for four seasons and then it's kind of gone like oh, by the way, this is how this happens. Like, this is why we're in the world we're in right now. And it it said that in a very overt way, but also in a really sort of powerful way, again, like with that final speech, you know. Mm. And it ends with Kendall saying to Rava, I'll see you at the funeral tomorrow, Anna. So... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be... I'll be watching that episode in Cannes. In Cannes! Oh, my God. We'll be recording that episode from France. So I look forward to, you know, screaming in the apartment of staying in town. Unbelievable, Holy right? Shit. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, I'm so, again, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm sort of devastated slash excited that we only have two episodes left of Succession. The funeral, which I'm assuming is next week, and then a 90-minute finale the week after the that. Ending, which will be live-streamed from the BFI in London with Jesse Armstrong in attendance. And I am calling out to all the powers in the world. <laughs> Once again. Dead and undead. Just hook me up. Hook me up with a ticket, please. I will mm -hmm. sit anywhere. And mm -hmm. I promise not to yell the Successionistas. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. <laughs> oh my God. I know. I know. We can but hope and pray. Let's see what happens. And actually, the other thing we should probably talk about, right, is because <clears throat> this is something that we, me and Rihanna talked about afterwards, is like what actually this means in terms of the politics of it. Because ATN have announced that he's won, but he might not have won, right? Yeah. So presumably what this means is it's going to go i think there's a line about it right where they're like it's going to be litigation there's going to be court like you know it's going to be in court for months like this could mm -hmm. drag out while they have to prove did he really win this election right and is he really going to be the next president mm -hmm. um but the weight of it of them announcing it i guess it's it's like shiv says it's like things happen right because they've announced it it means that that could boost him you know, it could spark things. It could it could all but start a civil war, I suppose, mm -hmm. right? Once a trusted, quote-unquote, trusted, respected media company or news outlet has announced that, it's already out there, I suppose, right? As And, and so whether he wins or not, it's kind of been announced now and that's going to start this chain of events, I guess. Yeah, Right? Exactly. Is that kind of how you read it in terms of the weight of them announcing it? I think there's... And what that actually means for who's going to be president. Because this is the... And again, you know, people who know more about American politics and the way that system works can can send us their opinion and their thoughts and, and insights. But the way that I understood it is that, yeah, they've yeah. jumped the gun and announced him as president. And because they're part of the national election pool of press, and I understand that that's like a very high level yes. of, a, I guess, like official accreditation and whatnot, they, they're they having a real effect on the politics. So he, and because the legal unpicking of it all and the burnt ballots and the missing ballots and stuff will be a formal investigation that might take months, but they get, you know, 
he is in power and he's going to get like sworn into the office fairly quickly. So mm. even if that investigation drags on, he has effectively won because he's been declared the winner, which is like, you know, the power of the press, particularly in America. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, at the very start of the episode there, Darwin, um, who's kind of the more the expert on elections. Yes. Uh, you know, he says that they, they cannot announce Wisconsin. They cannot call states without being ratified because they might lose that position Mm -hmm. so i think yeah they've jumped the gun they've kind of aligned themselves with this guy very publicly they've announced it they've like pushed him yeah into power effectively and they will bear the consequences of it but they're happy to because the price it like the the cost is worth it for them at least in roman's view i think well yeah i mean they are potentially risking completely ruining ATN's reputation, right? If it turns out that Mencken didn't win, mm-hmm. then, you know, they've kind of lost all credibility, which is a, 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 a possibility, right? That these kids have once again ruined what their dad created in one night, uh, potentially, right? If it turns out that that was bullshit. And uh, and Tom as well is kind of plastered all over other news outlets, his face at the end, yeah. right? For, They're going to blame Tom. Yeah, for for undermining democracy, right? Yeah. They've put a lot on the line there to support Mencken. And if this does go badly, they've completely maybe destroyed all of their reputations for good as well. So... I mean, they weren't that great tell. to begin with. They weren't great to begin with, exactly. Nah. Exactly. It wasn't much to lose. <laughs> Speaking really. of lose, who let's talk about who's our winner this week, if anyone. Is there a winner? Menken. Menken, oh Jesus, yeah. He ends up in the most powerful office in the land. And in turn, I guess Roman. Roman is yeah. sort of a winner too. He's in the president's pocket now, essentially. Yeah, he is, um, and the president is in his. God. Keeping each other very close to their own, to their dicks. Exactly. Those dicks are close. There's going to be a lot of talking in bathrooms between those two men over the next few years. Um, and what about a loser? I mean, we've got a few to choose from here. We've got, we've Shiv, got a lot. Tom, Kendall, Connor. Connor. Exactly. Connor lost Kentucky. <laughs> Alas. Tom. Alas, yeah. Kentucky. <laughs> Darwin Alas, has vanity. committed possibly... <laughs> Darwin has possibly committed electoral fraud and also got wasabi in his eye. Yeah, exactly. Where do you start, right? Where do you start? But I would. Everyone's a loser. America's a loser. America's lost. Exactly. Yeah. America's lost. There you go. God, that's bleak. Um, and, and, <laughs> and any um, any favorite quotes that we haven't yet? Mentioned? Oh my god, <laughs> I've got many. I've got many. A lot of them are Romans because he's absolutely on fire. Yes. You know, uh, when he's ordering people around and he's like. It's me, the CEO of Waystar, telling you what to put on the telly box mouth, people. <laughs> so good. Or I'm going to the bathroom to shit. Would you like me to live stream it? Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, love that and one. If we get like earnest, I think Kendall's line, I'm not a very good father. Maybe the poison drips through. Hmm. It's devastating. Do you know what's interesting about that line too? Is that you, you could see it one way or another. Like in some ways, is that Ken feeling bad almost like feeling guilty or is it mm. ken accepting 
that he's a bad person almost and that accepting almost that he's going to make this decision to side with Menkin because he's like, Do you know what? I'm a bad father. And almost just like mm. resigning to the fact that he's going to continue to fuck over his family and kids, right? As well. It's a, mm. again, it's a brilliant line with a lot of a lot of nuance. A lot of nuance, it feels like. Yeah. From again, from Jeremy Strong as well. Yeah. What about line. you? Did you have any favorites? There was a good one from Roman that I wrote down somewhere near the beginning. What was it? Oh, uh, this is fun. My team playing your team. It's only spicy <laughs> because if my team win, they're going to shoot your team. <laughs> <laughs> so good love it yeah. love it um oh, that's very good so much tom again my digestive system is part of the constitution very good uh, some classic connor uh, moments start a coup in peru fun guy in uruguay <laughs> like, again, <laughs> having fun it's just basically these last two episodes have been like connor having fun with geography i have quite enjoyed yes. it it's been good yeah um and again in a different kind of way and you already delivered it so perfectly but that final speech from Menken is oh. horrible chilling horrifying but brilliantly written stuff right so so good I, I, I've got it in front of me and I'm, I'm scared to even read it again Well, there we go. Maybe we should wrap up there, right? We've got we've got a funeral to look forward to next week, Anna. That's going to be something. I've never looked forward to a funeral more than I do to Logan Roy's. Do you know what I'm most excited about? Are we going to get our episode? Because it's like we get one episode per season with Dame Harriet Walter as Lady Caroline. Surely we're going to get some Lady Caroline moments, right? Oh, she's going to be awful to shiv. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, it's going to be terrible. I can't wait. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So in the meantime, Anna, let us know where people can find you. Well, in Cannes, apparently, right? But um, other than in Cannes, where can people find you and your work online? I'll be one of those pretentious people tweeting about how bad the Cannes booking system is. You can find me doing that uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Anna B. Demented. You can also uh, subscribe and listen to my horror film history podcast, The Final Girls, and you you can buy my book and like about female characters the woman pop culture wants you to hate which includes a lot of siobhan roy yes um anywhere you get your books that's out in the u.s now and it's coming out in the uk on the 9th of june so pre-order those so exciting and you can find me and my podcast uh, the evolution of horror online wherever you get your podcasts uh, thank you so much for listening and join us again next week for another episode of the succession easters Fuck off.